there is no greater privilege of our lives to be a part of your family, to step into your story. We thank you so much for the body and the blood of Jesus that redeems our lives, that makes our lives whole in ways that we could never do on our own. And Father, I just pray today in this moment, at this time, that we would hear a word from you. Thank you for people that have the courage to to come and have somebody pray over them, God. And maybe today was just a day that we, we didn't feel like doing that. But hopefully uh, we know that we can always lay our burdens down at the foot of the cross and that you will meet us there, not with, not with judgment, not with harsh words, but with love and compassion. And Father, we just thank you so much for the grace that we enjoy because of the God that you are, that is not tied to our perfection, but that is tied to you. And Father, today I just pray that there would be blessing in this room as we, as we step into our lives this coming week. Father, that you would just go ahead of us and walk next to us and hold us and push us when we need that from you. And so we just give you this time today. May we hear your word. We pray this all through Jesus and the church together said, amen. Uh, I wanted to kind of start, uh, start the service in a, in a slightly, a slightly different place. Uh, than maybe I usually do. So Steve, you can bring that, um, that first slide up. This is my cell phone number, okay? And I know a lot of you guys have, have asked, hey, we'd love to get together and have coffee or something like that. Shoot me a text, tell me who you are, uh, just in case I don't have your number. Um, and, and I'm gonna do my best to try to make time for everybody. If you want some time to sit and talk uh, about, uh, about where we are and, and things that are, that are happening, uh, this is my cell phone number. I'm only gonna change it on like Wednesday, so you got a few days. Um, no, I'm kidding. I'm, I'm going to keep this number forever, uh, probably. Um, uh, but if you, if you do need some time, if you do need some space, we want to be honoring of that. So uh, just shoot me a text if you want to write it down. Uh, I'll just leave it up here for, for a second. I also want to let you know, I know that when people announce that, that their time at a, at a church is coming to an end, even when it's a good ending, um, then, you know, it's still kind of a, a tense and difficult time for, for churches. What's going to happen? What are we going to do? How's it going to look? And I want you to know that uh, this coming Thursday, I'm going to be meeting with, with our leadership team. Uh, we're going to be working on a process and a timeline and, and all those kinds of things. You're not being excluded from anything. Uh, we just haven't quite put all that together yet. And I know that they'll be communicating that with you or we'll be communicating that with you as we know it. Um, just so that you know, but th there's a good process coming and uh, we will be sharing that with you. You know, as I was reflecting, some people kind of asked a little bit this week and said, well, you know, you know, this is happening, why is this happening, what's going on, what's going to happen at our church when, when this all takes place? And I tried to explain to everybody uh, some of these things. What, what I've tried to do uh, in, in the last, you know, seven, eight years is tried to create an environment that doesn't necessitate one person to work. Do you get what I'm getting at? If things only work with one person, then that's probably not not a good and healthy system, right? And so I kind of went down the list of things. What are some of the things that I really am not involved in? We'll take worship. On a Sunday morning, worship won't look any different. Our groups ministry, April, April does that, as well as our pastoral care. Journey kids, journey prep, journey students. I really have nothing to do with those things. Uh, seniors ministry, our volunteer ministry, our outreach ministry. And then after I tell people that, the first question they have is they say, so what do you actually do here, okay? That's the point, nothing. I've been fooling you for a long time. Um, so you watch when, 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 when I exit here you know, in January, uh, it's gonna be great. The church is just gonna be in a good spot. And I've also decided one other thing is that I wanna tell some stories. I wanna tell every week, I'm gonna tell a story that does not put me in a great light, 
so that slowly over the course of time, when we get to January 8th, you're going to be like, thank God this day has come. Okay, it's time for you to go. Let me tell you a fun story. I realize ahead of time the story might be slightly offensive and a little on the edge, but that's what we're going for, people, so, uh, so hang with me. Um, you know, when, when you're in a neighborhood and your house goes up on the market, you probably do what all neighbors do, right? Uh, we, didn't, we didn't send out a press release to our neighbors when our house uh, went on the market, uh, but people start asking you what's going on. Well, there's a sweet couple that live uh, one street over. They're named Joe and Karen. They've lived there as long as we have been there, and we've become friends. We see each other. We walked our dogs together. It's been, it's been great. I saw Joe at the mailbox. We have those mailbox uh, box clusters, and I saw him at the mailbox the other day, and he gave me the, the regular neighborly thing. Hey, what's going on? We see your house is on the market. So I said, yeah, you know, we have an opportunity, and this is kind of it, and we're looking for fresh stuff, all the, all, the, all the things that I'm supposed to say. And he said, oh, yeah, okay, great. And I looked at him, and I said, Joe, I know you're about to go home to Karen and say, hey, I saw Sheldon at the mailbox. I said, would you do me one favor? And he said, sure. I said, when she asks why they're selling the house, please just tell her that, that Haley and I are splitting up, just, just, just for like five seconds, okay? About an hour later, I get a text message, okay? Uh, Karen is a devout Catholic woman, and she had some very tasteful words on a text message. And she said, oh, my goodness, I've been running for my rosary in the last, like, 30 minutes. So anyway, I haven't seen her yet. She does walk with a cane, so if I'm limping next week, you're going to know exactly what happened, okay? So hopefully that helps a little bit, right? Uh, so I have a wicked sense of humor, as you well know. But, uh, but you know, can't have fun with, um, with the elderly. Then I mean, what's, what's life really about? Let's be honest. Um, okay. See, you're feeling better about it already. You're like, yeah, it's time. <laughs> it's time. Okay. Uh, we're in week two of a giving series that's called Don't Just Take, Give. Now, I want to start because a lot of people have asked questions uh, about, about Shift 22. And I want to show you where our Shift thermometer is for, um, for 2022. This is how much money we, we set out with a goal to raise, 750000 This is where we are uh, on that scale. So as you can see, a lot of people are concerned and saying, what's going to happen there? It's going to take a minute for the rest of that money to come in, probably 12 to 18 months. I know a lot of you give uh, bigger donations at the end of the year, uh, but those things are still going to happen. Uh, they're just going to, the, the timeline's really not going to change. It's going to give a new person an opportunity to kind of step in and lead that charge. So a lot of you are concerned. We've given to that. What's going to happen? You know that our chapter one with our new entry, our parking lot, painting the building, some of these other things that we've done, the prep room, the student room, those are all finished. And now uh, we're going to wait until there's, th there's this money there until we step forward with the next thing. If you haven't, if you don't know all, all about this, there's a ton of these um, Shift 22 uh, flyers in the welcome booth, and you can grab one of those. But I also want to share some exciting news about this. Uh, part of what I have done and part of what leadership charged me to do was I set out and I wrote a few grants uh, that are local grants here. And I'm very happy to report that Emerald National, through the Ware Foundation, has given us a $25,000 donation towards this project moving forward. Um, so if you don't bank with Emerald National, you should. Um, that's all I'm going to say. No, but they, th they have uh, supported that and, and been a part of that with us. Uh, so there's, there's a lot of exciting things that are happening. But as we've talked about this new giving series, as we started last week, I want to just rehash a couple of things just to make sure that everybody's on the same page. Giving is always a revealing of the heart. Giving is not about money. People think giving is about money. It almost never is. Giving 
is an expression of the heart. Maybe a, another way to say that is that God wants 100% of our hearts, not just 10% of our money. Sometimes when we go to church, people are, are guilting us with percentages, and I need us to be clear that God wants all of us. He's not just after our money. If somebody's after your money, there's usually something negative behind that. We're talking about this series, it is about the joy of giving, not the guilt of giving. Sometimes when we hear it, it's, it's almost like a, a condescending sermon against us. That says, hey, you're not doing your part. God is waiting to do something, and he's not able to do it until you step up. Let me be clear. God does not need your money. The maker of heaven and earth, the maker of the universe, does not need $25 from you to do something. He already has all power and all things. And we need to be reminded of that. God is the creator. He owns it all already. That's why principle one in the treasure principle is so valuable. God already owns everything. We're just money managers, right? The money that you put in your retirement, whatever money manager manages those funds, that's our role when it comes to money and giving. God has given us more than we deserve, and our job is to be faithful money managers. You know, our world has a possession obsession. Do you find that? We love stuff. Stuff gives us comfort. I mean, we are the most hoarding culture ever. We, we, we think that the stuff that we surround ourselves with gives us great comfort. But ultimately, as you, as you get up, I think when you're younger, as you, when you grow up, but when you're younger, you sort of feel like, you know, I want to buy that next best car or that bigger house or have these nicer toys or whatever it might be. And while it's great to have those ambitions in life, it's not long before the things that we own end up owning us. And it goes badly in our world today. One of the great statements, and this is going to be kind of a cornerstone of what we talk about today, you can't take it with you, but you can send it on ahead. You know, when, when John D. Rockefeller died, they had a press conference, and one of the reporters asked his people and said, how much did he leave? And his answer was brilliant. He just said, all of it. They wanted to know how much money, how could they attribute value to his life? And the person who answered the question basically said, the stuff means nothing. You know, in the, at the turn of the century, they found uh, a tomb. Uh, Howard Carter found a tomb in Egypt of the famous Pharaoh Tutankhamun, right? Pharaoh that died at 17 years old. They found a 3,000-year-old tomb that was undisturbed. They literally found tons of gold. Now, maybe you've, you've seen, everybody's seen the death mask probably in pictures, maybe some of you have been uh, lucky enough to go to the Cairo Museum and actually see that in person. I would love to do that one day. It's on my list. Isn't it amazing when they broke through that wall 3,000 years after he had died, guess how much he had taken with him? Nothing. It was still all there. Valuable principle. You cannot take it with you, but you can send it on ahead. We've all heard the adage, you never see a hearse pulling a U-Haul. You can never take it with you. This is why Solomon, who is wise and wealthy, I might add, says these words in Ecclesiastes chapter 5, beginning in verse 10. He says this, Whoever loves money never has enough. 
whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with their income. This too is meaningless. As goods increase, so do those who consume them. And what benefit are they to the owners except to feast their eyes on them? The sleep of the laborer is sweet, whether they eat little or much. But as for the rich, their abundance permits them no sleep for worrying about wealth. I've seen a grievous evil under the sun, wealth hoarded to the harm of its owners, or wealth lost through some misfortune, so that when they have children, there is nothing left for them to inherit. Everyone comes naked from their mother's womb, and every and as everyone comes, so they depart. They take nothing from their toils that they can carry in their sacks. You can't take it with you, but you can send it on ahead. You know, whenever I do premarital counseling with couples, one of the things we talk about is bank accounts. And we talk about joint bank accounts. And I realize that sometimes people have a bad reaction to this. And I say, you're about to combine your lives together. Uh, you should combine everything together. You should combine, you know, your, your money, your house. Everything's going to be shared between the two of you. Now, I understand some people, they say, well, I've got a little business, and so I have an account over here, and that's fine. And I understand some people get, get married maybe later in life, and they want to be, there wants to be some protection of the assets or whatever it might be for the kids, and, and all that's okay. There are always exceptions to these things. But I want to ask you a question. If you could choose any person on earth to be, to have a joint checking account with, who would you choose? I mean, outside of your spouse, who would you choose? Maybe like Elon Musk. Would you like to be on his checking account? Right? <laughs> That'd be okay. I could live with that. It's very important for us to understand this. And I don't want us to miss it. If God already owns everything, we're just playing neighbor. And guess who we have a joint account with? take your checkbook out, you know the little names on the corner? God's, God's in that cluster of names. Not only is he on that cluster of names, but I want to I be clear about something. God is not on your checking account. You are on his. That's a very important distinction to know. It's not like, okay, God, you can have some of my stuff. We need to change our perspective to realize that it ultimately is his. And he has allowed us to be on it. That's a, that's a big deal. It's an important thing for us to ultimately remember. Luke 16, 11 and 12, it says, So that if you have not been trustworthy in your handling of worldly wealth, who will trust you with true, tre true treasure? And if you have not been trustworthy with someone else's property, who will give you property of your own? This is talking about us and God. If we see it as us and we exclude him from it, God's never going to give us more. You, you meet people that say, we just can never make ends meet. We can never have enough money to give back to God. And maybe that's the problem is why you can never make ends meet. Because there's not a sense of priority with God first about your money, about your finances, about your home, about whatever you might have. You see, what greed does is it worries us about losing things all the time. What am I going to do? How am I going to pay for this? I can't afford the insurance. Greed creates anxiety in our world, but an investment mentality sees reward. 
This is why on the stock market, if you look at your numbers lately, and everybody's down a lot, we know in time it'll come back. It doesn't feel real good right now. But when we're greedy and we take our identity from where those numbers land, it creates anxiety. When we see it as investment, hey, I'm not touching this money for 20 or 30 years. I got plenty of time to recover. It helps our perspective, which is principle number two. It says this, my heart will always follow my money. I know we think it's the other way around. Whatever we're passionate about, we'll invest in. But the reality is this, whatever we spend money on is what we start investing in. My heart will always follow my money. When you look at the Bible, when you, especially when you look at the Gospels, uh, Luke especially tells so many stories that involve money. He tells the story of the, the rich young ruler, right? Jesus says, you've got to get rid of your wealth. He tells the story of Zacchaeus, who actually does. He tells the story of the widow who puts the two small copper coins into the collection plate at church. He tells the story of the tax collectors and how they hoard money. There are so many conversations that Jesus has about money because in Matthew 6, 21, he says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. He knows that people are motivated by money. And even when you have to pay your taxes, even when you have to give it away to something or to pay for something, our heart follows our money. Listen to what Luke 12, beginning in verse 15, says. Jesus is telling a parable. We know it as the parable of the rich fool. He said, then he said to them, watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. Life does not consist in the, the abundance of possessions. And he told them the parable. The ground of a certain rich man had yielded an abundant harvest, right? He's blessed. He thought to himself, what should I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, I know what I'll do. I'm going to tear down these barns. I'm going to build bigger ones. And then I will store my surplus grain. And then I'll say to myself, I'll, I'll beat my chest in pride and I'll say, you can retire anytime you want. You've got plenty of grain stored up for many, many years. Take life easy. Eat, drink, travel. Just enjoy it. And God said to him, you're a fool. This very night, your soul will be demanded from you. Then who will get everything you've prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves, stores up things for themselves, but is not rich toward not saying don't save for retirement he's not saying don't save for your kids college he's saying but if our mentality is always more and me it's probably not going to go well you see giving is a response to god's grace as brad well said god gave his himself he gave his son in our stead so that we can have life god has already done the heavy lifting of giving and when we give whatever we part with for the Lord is an act of grace. We are following God's gift of his son in simple ways toward him. You know, sometimes people say, well, I, we don't make a lot of money or something like that. When you read scripture, you realize that giving is the privilege of the poor, not the right of the rich. Every time the Bible talks about giving, it is always from the poor, the poor sharing what little they have for others that have little as well. It's not something that is only the responsibility of those that financially on the top of the food chain. It's a privilege to be able to give, not a right. This is why God talks about joyful giving. We talked last week 
uh, about this, and I want to reiterate this as well. Principle number three, heaven, not earth, is our home. This is just temporary, guys. Whatever home you go to today, first of all, God already owns it. So don't worry about stuff the way that you ultimately would. But realize that God's just letting you live there. That that's not where you're going to be in eternity. In eternity, we are going to be with him in a place that far exceeds this. And when we live our lives thinking heaven is what I'm shooting for, that's the place that God's calling me. That's powerful and mighty. If all you do is look around at what you have here, your life will be filled with anxiety and you will never be satisfied and, and, and it will just be a tough, kind of a tough journey. If you realize, hey, you know what? Something's not working here. It's okay. My new house is going to be great. I'm not going to have any problems. I'm never going to have to call the plumber. It's going to be awesome. When life, when life on this earth ends, people celebrate us for a few moments. And life has this crazy thing about moving, moving on, moving forward. But if you go to the cemetery ever, you'll see people have, have tombstones or nameplates, kind of where they're, they're buried, if that's what they chose to do. There's two, there's two dates on there, right? You've got the one date over here. Mine would be, you know, April 5th, 1977. The day I was born, the day that the world changed. Well, for me, but you know. On the other side, there's a date, whatever that date is. And that's the day that your earthly life ended. That's actually the day you go to heaven. It's actually kind of a cool day. You're born over here, you're kind of really born again over here. And then right in the middle, that little line, that little dash, little says life is like a vapor. You know what he actually means? He means this. <sighs> what we do with this determines what happens with heaven. Live for the line, not for the date. It's this life. That's what God Generosity is a reordering of our spiritual life. It helps us to, to change who we are and who we're deciding to be. You know, sometimes people talk about coming to church and maybe re-engaging in, in, the, in their faith walk or their spiritual journey. I want to tell you this. This is, not a, this is not a bit. This is not a sales pitch. If you want to change your faith walk, start with giving. Because giving is a reprioritizing of your life. It begins by giving God priority in all things. That's why we gather on the first day of the week. We give God the first piece of our week. We say it's yours. And then God gifts us the rest of the week. When our lives begin with the priority of God, it changes everything that we do. If you leave here today realizing that the car that you get into does not belong to you, it belongs to him and he's letting you use it because you're his child and he loves you. And you pull up to your house and you say, I gotta mow the grass. I really don't wanna mow the grass. It's not your grass, it's God's grass. 
mow it well for him. When you get the bills, wow, electric high this month. It's not your money. You're not writing a check from your checking account. You're writing one from his. It's going to be okay. When we give God a piece of our day, a piece of our lives, and ultimately, yes, a piece of the income that he has blessed us with, it affects our faith. Couples that come that have marriage problems sometimes, I'm not saying this to you all the time, but I'll say, how's your giving? Well, we don't really give. You know what? Why don't you start by prioritizing God with your money and start by prioritizing God with every day, with a moment with him. And then start prioritizing God by serving at church. Don't just go, be a part of, be a part of a group, do some things. Guess what happens a lot of those times? Their marriage starts to change. And it's not because they're different people, it's because they've changed their priorities in life. They're not taking anymore, they're giving. God honors that. And God will give you more and more and more and more. And it's not a get rich give to God, it is not a get-rich-quick scheme. It's a you'll-never-be-poor scheme. Because God will take care of you because you are His child and His loved one. So, Father, today, we just thank You for reminding us of what You've given. And we pray that today, that as we as we maybe just reflect in our own lives, where we are, what we're doing, how things are, are working, Father, we just pray that you would just take away some of those worldly anxieties that we so often feel and just allow us to submit our lives to you, recognizing that you're our Father and you won't let bad things happen to us. You, you won't let us be destitute because you love us as children. May we have the courage to trust you in faith. Would you bring great joy to our lives through those things? So, Father, today as we just continue to worship, as we continue to lift your name high, would you just reorient our hearts towards you? We thank you for loving us where we are and loving us too much.